Hello, this is Pastor Don from the Atlantic Evangelical Free Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check us out on the web at AtlanticFreeChurch.com. In the meantime, I hope the sermon you're about to hear draws you closer to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. Open your Bibles to Psalm 32 this morning. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Good morning. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us this morning. Thank you, Dylan, for reading. Uh, A couple of quick reminders. One, I meant to bring a baby bottle with me. Let's pretend this is a baby bottle. Next Sunday is Father's Day, and that's when you get to bring back your baby bottles filled with change for the LC Clinic, and uh, many of you have taken one or two or three of those, and you've just been filling them with change uh, or other things. dollars and so on. Um, Bring those back next week and there'll be a place for you to bring those. Thank you so much for participating in that. Also a reminder that this week will be session number two of the Christian Life and Witness course that we're hosting. We had about 50 people, 47, 50 people like that uh, here on Thursday night. About half of those were from our church. The other half were from other churches in the region. Actually, there was even a group that came down from Cherokee which was uh, very, very cool. So uh, if you were, weren't free last week, but you can get your schedule free to be here this week, you will, uh, you will be blessed. It was, uh, it was very excellent teaching. Uh, and then I, nobody asked me to, but I thought I would mention, we're resuming the fellowship coffees this morning, the monthly, uh, that's right, right? Somebody, I, think, I think I saw all those tables out there anyway. So uh, the uh, sponsored by Our Lady, Our Women's Ministry, once a month we do that after church just to encourage people to hang out together afterwards in fellowship. We're uh, resuming those this morning. And so kind of like the camping trips after a, a long time of not being able to do them. So I uh, hope you can stick around after church this morning. So we are in Psalm 32, and uh, let's ask the Lord's help with that text, and then we'll, we'll get right into it. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for the time to worship you this morning, and now we, uh, we turn our attention to your word. You are the God who speaks, and you have spoken most uh, powerfully, poignantly, uh, in a way that we can 
study together here in the words of scripture and so as we look at psalm 32 very specifically our prayer lord is that the words of this feeble servant's mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you and that you would speak to us by and through your holy spirit it's in christ's name we pray amen well there was a commercial on television many years ago way back when i was a little kid And it was an ad for an iced tea mix, an iced tea ad. And there were different versions. You know how they'll do an ad campaign. There will be different versions of the same commercial. But the the basic idea in every one of the the commercials was that they would show someone who was really struggling with the heat. Just a hot, humid day, and the person would look all bedraggled, and maybe they were mowing the lawn, or they were hiking with some friends, or something like that. But you could just, the, the, the idea was that they were just exhausted from how hot it was outside. Uh, but then someone would hand that person a tall glass of Nest Tea iced tea, and uh, they would take a big gulp of that iced tea, and, and the whole commercial would change. All of a sudden, that person would be falling backward into a pool like a swimming pool. Anybody remember these commercials? And, you, you know, and so you'd go from, oh, I'm so hot, and then all of a sudden, ah, I'm falling backwards into, uh, into the pool of water. And, and it was a simple little commercial. I still remember it after all this time. The idea was if you wanted refreshment, if you wanted to be refreshed on those hot summer days, what you needed most was a tall glass of, of iced tea. Well, I I thought of those commercials this week as I was studying Psalm 32, because Psalm 32 is also about refreshment. Uh, Not the refreshment of a cold drink, but the refreshment of being forgiven, forgiven of our sins. That's the refreshment Psalm 32 is talking about. Uh, Last week, we studied Psalm 51, and many of you know we're kind of doing a little mini-series here on some psalms here in the early part of the summer. And so last week, we studied Psalm 51, and if you caught that sermon, you know that Psalm 51 is a record of David's prayer for forgiveness. And so David had gotten himself into some real serious sin, and he'd hid that sin for almost a year, and then God exposed it, and David uh, asked God for forgiveness. And so we worked through that prayer, and we talked about four steps for receiving forgiveness. That was last week's sermon. Well, this morning we come to Psalm 32, and I'm going there intentionally. I go to Psalm, you said, we're not going in order, are we? No, we go from Psalm 51 to Psalm 32, because a lot of scholars think, and I, I think they're right, a lot of scholars will say that Psalm 32 is a sequel to Psalm 51. It's the sequel to Psalm 51. I have to say, we don't know that for sure. David never mentions Bathsheba or Uriah. He doesn't mention any of that here in Psalm 32. But there are some linguistic links, some themes, some words that are repeated from, in both Psalms. And even just, uh, you'll see it as we go through it, that even the very premise makes a pretty good case, I think, that Psalm 32 is a sequel. As David kept meditating on that whole incident and what he prayed in Psalm 51, Psalm 32 is the follow-up. And like all good sequels, there's a difference between the two. Nobody wants to see the same, you know, part two is the same movie as part one. That'll get panned by the critics. Uh, there's a difference between Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And the difference, <clears throat> the difference is Psalm 51 shows us how to be forgiven, while Psalm 32 tells us why being forgiven is so wonderful. And, and that's kind of that. In, in Psalm 51, talked about that a little, but Psalm 32 really expands on why it is such a blessing to be forgiven of our sins. And that's what we see in the opening verses here. All right, we're going to... Could you please advance the slide? This thing is not working for me today. I don't know why. Um, so if you could put up the slide that shows the verses. Yes. So I wanted to show you verses 1 and 2. Uh, and 
Let me just read these to you. Again, you heard them a moment ago, but it starts out, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So those are the opening words of the psalm, and, and you, one of the things that stands out to us is that David uses three different words there for sin. So he's talking about the sins we commit against God, but he uses three, different, three of the more common words for sin in the Bible. Um, and the first one is transgressions. You see it there at the beginning, and uh, he, he talks about blessed is one whose transgression is forgiven. Uh, and that word, actually it means a, a departure. It means to depart or to go away from something. And so sometimes we'll, we'll translate that as, this is the concept of a rebellion. A transgression is a rebellion. And so, uh, you know, the, right, the way of righteousness is the path God wants us to walk in, and a transgression gets off the path. It leaves the path. And so it's, you could think of this word is rebellion. The second word is sin. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. And that word means to fall short of something. And so uh, maybe you've heard this. Sometimes this word means, uh, or sometimes in the ancient world, this word was used uh, for an archer who missed the target, right? And so he's trying to hit that target over there, and he shoots the arrow, and it it falls flat. It falls way short of the target. That's, this is the, the word you'd use in that context. The Bible takes that word and uses it to talk about sin sometimes. And, and what's the idea? The idea is God's target, right? God's righteousness is the target, and that's way up here, and, and we're, we're missing the mark. We're shooting way, way below. And so that's the second word David uses. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the third word uh, is, uh, is this word that's translated here as iniquity. Uh, you see it in verse 2, and that word means to be twisted or corrupt. And so you might remember uh, two or three weeks ago, we, we looked at a passage where uh, it talked about how God straightens us out uh, when we come to him. He makes us straight. That's this word here. This, is, this word is the opposite of what we looked at that week. Uh, we're crooked. Our sin bends us from what God's original intention for our lives was. And so you have these three different words that David uses. They're all Hebrew words that are used in different contexts to describe sin. And the reason he's making his word choices this way is he's painting for us in broad strokes a comprehensive picture of sin. He's saying, here's, here's all these different ways we, we offend uh, the God of the universe. But he's not focused on the sin. Right? That was Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where he really kind of meditated on, on his sin and, and confessed it to the Lord. Now he's reporting how blessed it is to be forgiven of it. Right? So, so I, I, my sin was big. It was comprehensive. It was broad strokes. It wasn't just a little mistake like we talked about last week. But blessed is the person whom the Lord sets free from that. Blessed is that person. And, and so I, this, this picture of refreshment comes to my mind. Verses 1 and 2, the tone of them is like offering a tall glass of iced tea to someone who's really hot and, you know, and sweaty, and they've just come in from yard work or something. They're like, here, this is what you need. That's what, Psalm, that's what verses 1 and 2 are doing. Here, this is what you need, those of you who have fallen into sin and you need forgiveness. This is what you need right here. You need the blessing of God's forgiveness. Verse 5, so I want, I'm giving an overview of this psalm here. Verse 5 tells us how to get it. And so if you look, and if you could please advance to the next slide, thank you. Uh, verse 5 is, actually it's a recap of Psalm 51, is what you got there. And so verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin uh, to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's verse 5. 
David repeats the same three words. You, you see the connections there. Same three words for sin. He puts them in a different order, but it's the same words. Except now, and he does this on purpose, now he's talking about how he got this blessing. So verses 1 and 2, it's blessed to be forgiven of your sins. Verse 5, here's how, you get, how, here's how you're forgiven of your sins. I, I acknowledged my sins. Right? So he's, I confessed it. I stopped covering up my iniquity like David had done for that whole year with David and Bathsheba before Nathan the prophet came and confronted him. I stopped covering my iniquity. What I do instead, instead I confessed his words. I confessed my transgressions to the Lord. And that's when he forgave me. And David actually, the the first seven verses are all prayer. Uh, David says, uh, you forgave, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so that right there, if you only gave me 10 minutes instead of the half hour or so, you're so kind to give me, uh, I would stop and I'd say, that's Psalm 32. It's blessed to be forgiven. How am I going to be forgiven? I'm going to confess my sin to the Lord. That's how we get that blessing. That's how we obtain it. We have to confess. And when we do, blessed, blessed is the one who, who does. We have more than just 10 minutes, and that brings us to the rest of the psalm, because what the rest of the psalm does, all those other verses there, is it, it, it elaborates on why it's so good. So yes, it's a blessing, but why? I mean, what's such, why is it such a big deal to be forgiven of our, our sins? What's so refreshing about that? And that's the rest of the psalm, and the answer is that it sets us free. So if you'd please uh, advance to that one for folks. Yeah, the Lord sets us free when we confess our sins. That's what confession is, is, is about at that devotional level in terms of how it affects us in our day-to-day lives. It sets us free. And in the verses I haven't talked about yet, the, the rest of the psalm, I think we see three freedoms. There are three freedoms here in the rest of Psalm 32, and these freedoms are what makes it so good, right? We, our country, we have a whole holiday de- dedicated to celebrating our freedom, right? July 4th. Well, here's a freedom that's even better, and, and these are even more blessed than, than that freedom. And so the rest of the time we have, I just want to show you these three freedoms he talks about, three, uh, three reasons being forgiven of our sins is such a, is such a refreshment. Uh, So if you could please advance to the next one there. Freedom number one is that God sets us free when we confess our sins and receive his forgiveness. He sets us free from the burden. Sin is a burden, and Jesus sets us free from the burden of our sin. Because here's the thing about sin. You know this. Uh, The thing about sin is that most of the time, it feels good when we do it. I mean, that's why we do it, right? It, it feels good when we do it, whether it's the, you know, getting to say that thing we really wanted to say, you know, we just wanted to lash out to somebody or, or indulging in some sensual pleasure or whatever it is. Uh, the, the, sin feels good at the time, but then afterwards, sometimes immediately afterwards, the burden kicks in and there are consequences, there's guilt that we feel, there's brokenness in relationships, there's the conviction of sin that we experience, there's all these consequences that come afterward, and that burden, the burden of those consequences, that's what David's describing in verses 3 and 4. So look at verses 3 and 4. He says, for when I kept silence, so he says this blessing, right? How blessed it is to be forgiven. And then he remembers back. These are the only two verses that are in the past tense. He's looking back. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. 
So David gives us three pictures there, three pictures. Uh, I, I love preaching through the Psalms because there's always these word pictures, and so you can just kind of go with the psalmist in terms of how we think about it. Uh, he gives us three pictures here of, of the burden of unconfessed sin. Right? So what is unconfessed sin like on the human soul? Well, first of all, David says it's like a wasting disease. And he doesn't use the word cancer, but I kind of picture cancer here, the way he describes it in that first line. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away. I was groaning all day long. That's his first description. And you say, well, is that literal or metaphorical? It doesn't even matter. I mean, both. It's both. Sometimes sin literally makes people feel sick. I've seen instances of that. Perhaps you have as well. Sometimes sin makes people feel sick or even causes illness. Uh, so it's possible David is reporting, yes, he literally felt sick because of his sin. Or maybe it's just, it could just be metaphorical. I felt spiritually sick, he's saying. Either way, both ways, either way, it's, his point is it wasn't nice. It was very unpleasant. I felt sick, and not just a little sick, really sick. That's, that's his first picture. Uh, the burdens of sin are like being sick. Uh, the, the second picture he talks about is a heavy hand. A heavy hand pressing down on him. And it's not just any hand, right? It, it's, it's God's hand. Because what does he say? Your hand was, was heavy on me. And I think what he's picturing here is that thing we call conviction. Right? Conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit's conviction. Uh, David's reporting. He says, that sense that I'd done something wrong. It was so strong. Nobody knew about it. But it was so strong that, that I felt like I was being squeezed. Right? Like some big hand had put his hand around me like I was a little doll and was squeezing. That's what it, it felt like, David said. And that's his second picture of the, the burden of sin. It's like being squeezed by a heavy hand. His third picture is a drought. You see that there at the end of, uh, of verse, I, think it's, I guess it's verse 4, right? The, the spiritual drought. My strength was dried up, he says, as, the heat, uh, as in the heat of summer. The ground was cracked, the stream beds were dry, the crops were withering. Everywhere I looked, it was parched and brown. It looked like everything was about to die. David says, that's how I felt. On the inside, I felt like a spiritual drought. The worst drought ever was ravaging my soul. But look at what he was reporting to you and me. He says, that's all behind me now. I said it before, these are the only two verses that are in, uh, in this psalm that are in the past tense. Uh, that's what I used to be, but the good news of Psalm 32 is that now I'm free, David says. Uh, now that he's confessed, verse 5, he'll get there, he'll say it next in terms of the order of the song, but he says, now that I've confessed that burden, that weight, that hand that was squeezing me, that drought that was parching me, it's been lifted. I've been set free from that burden. And the thing you and I need to know today is that God offers us that very same freedom. That's what he offers us. If we will confess our sin to the Lord, he will set us free from, from those burdens. As far as he's concerned, if you have, let me say this, if, if you have uh, confessed your sin to the Lord and you kind of keep short accounts, as we say sometimes, you, you, you regularly come to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness for all those little ways we fall, he does not see you as guilty. You are not guilty as, in God's eyes. He's removed it. You're set free. And so confession, we, we don't always think in these terms, but confession of our sin really is a gift. It's a gift that God gives us to set us free. I uh, was 
thinking of something this way. Um, I mentioned that Christian Life and Witness course that we had on Thursday. We'll have again this Thursday. Like I said, it's valuable stuff. If you can be here, please do. Uh, but the, the teacher, the guy who's assigned to teach us, his name is Jim Mullen, and he used an illustration for the importance of confession. And I, when I heard him, I thought, oh, that's got to go in the sermon. That was really good. Uh, he, he said, imagine you're at a barbecue, right? And it's that time of year. You're at a barbecue, you know, lots of parties and that kind of thing. And, and so, you know, you're, you're having a good time. Maybe you're playing frisbee with somebody or you're chatting in the backyard. It's just, it's great, wonderful, wonderful summer day. You're at a barbecue. When all of a sudden a bug flies in your eye. You're just kind of there, ha, 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 and boom, ah, oh, yeah, and and, and not a big bug that just kind of flies away, but a little one, one of those little gnats, and it's in there, and you're like, oh, oh, I can feel them swimming around in there, oh, I can't, yeah, imagine that happens, he said, and then he said, what are you going to do about that bug? Are you going to wait till Tuesday to see how it all turns out? You're kind of like, yeah, you know, give it a few days, maybe he'll come out on his own, maybe it'll all be okay, maybe I'll, I'll get used to it, you know, kind of an interesting experience. No, you're, you're going to get rid of it now. You're going to like, oh, get rid of this. You're going to go in the restroom. Maybe you're going to flush your eye if it won't come out. You're going to take care of it right away. And I think what this passage pushes us to do is to, is to treat the burden of sin that way. Don't, don't carry it around. Why would you carry it around? You could be free from it. And so as soon as we realize what we've done, we should confess our sin to the Lord and Ask him to forgive us, like we talked about last week. Remember, this is a sequel to Psalm 51. Remember that importance of agreeing with God about our sin? Agree with God about our sin, and then let him set us free. Let him set us free from that burden. So that's number one. The first freedom is is freedom from the burden of sin. We do not have to be oppressed by that. Uh, The second freedom, if we'd advance to this one, please, is freedom from the judgment of sin. Freedom from the judgment that sin, uh, that we deserve because of our sin. Confession and the the forgiveness we receive that goes with confession, it's a package deal, uh, that sets us free from God's rightful judgment against sin. And that's verses 6 and 7. And so to turn to those verses. uh, David says, I I read 5 before, now we'll go to 6, Therefore... So he reports his own confession. Then he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. There's a change that takes place in verse 6. And the change is that David switches topics. He switches now to judgment. And so verses 3 and 4 were about the burden of sin. Verse 5 was how God released him from the burden of sin. Now in verse 6 and also in 7, he turns to the topic of judgment. And, and what he says is, and he's still praying in verse 6, or in verses 6 and 7, he's still talking to God. And he, he said, he's basically, it's a prayer. He says, Lord, let everyone do what I did. Let everyone do what I did. Let everyone confess their sins to the Lord so that they can come and enjoy this refreshment that I'm getting to enjoy. And the reason they need to do this, so so there's actually two reasons. The first one's already been given. The first reason to do this is what I just said. They they need this tall glass iced tea just as much as I do. And that's partly why David says this. But the other reason he says this, let everyone come and confess their sins, is that he knows time is running out. There's a clock that's ticking, and, 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 and we need to confess before the clock runs out. And, and so David says, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to work from his text here, right? I have to. Uh, Let them turn to you at a time when you may be found. Let them turn to you at a time 
when you may be found. The you in that verse is God. He's still direct addressed to God. And so the idea, what's he saying? He's saying forgiveness is available now. Now's the time when God may be found. It's not that God is hiding. It's a, it's a, it's a stand-in for the concept of forgiveness being available through God by coming to the Lord. And so now is the time when we can be forgiven. Right? We've still got breath in our bodies and Jesus hasn't come back yet. If you want to confess your sins, now is the time. And, and how do we do it? Well, see Psalm 51. All we have to do is ask. Or see verse 5 here in this passage. However, David knows, even 3,000 years ago, David knew that that invitation will not stand open forever. One of these days, from our vantage point as New Testament believers, one of these days, uh, Jesus will come back. Right? The trumpet will sound, he'll come down from heaven, and the window for forgiveness will be closed. And then, of course, there's our own mortality that hangs over us. One, uh, one of the other is going to get us. Right? Either Jesus returns or death comes for us. And then the window for forgiveness will close. That's, that's why he says that. That language is a little strange uh, to our ears. But, but he says, let, let them turn to you at the time when you be, may be found, while it's still accessible. Uh, think about basketball. I guess some basketball is still happening in the NBA. You know, when that buzzer sounds, the game is over. And, and it doesn't matter if, you know, you, you take the three-point shot of all three-point shots. You know, you're, you're under their basket and you throw it all the way across the court and it's swish and it goes in all net. If the buzzer sounded before you let go of that ball, it doesn't count, right? There's a timer that runs. And, and that's, the, that's the idea here. Confess your sins while you may be found. That helps us understand, uh, well, he may be found. Uh, that explains uh, the other half of verse 6. Uh, he talks about the rush of great waters. And what, what that is, what's that? That's another metaphor for judgment. It's another picture. And so it's this idea of, um, of flash floods. They, they actually are somewhat prone to those because of the geography in Israel. And so you know, it's this idea of somebody's kind of there and a little, there's a little trickle and maybe you know, he's, he's cooling his feet off in the little trickle stream and all of a sudden he hears a, a, a roar in the distance. What's that? And he looks up and, and there's a flash flood coming and it wipes him away. That's the rush of great waters uh, in that verse. And, and he's saying that's what, that is a, a pretty common picture, actually, in the Old Testament of, of God's judgment. And so, and so he says, uh, he's, he's talking about that. But it's, it's all about the confession. So what's he saying? He's saying if you confess your sins, those rushing waters won't touch you. So do you see where he says that there? They, the rushing waters of judgment, shall not reach him. Who's the him? It's the person who's confessed his or her sins and received God's forgiveness. And so it's freedom from the judgment of sin. That's what he says. And that's all verse 6, and that sets us up for verse 7, right? This psalm, it's not just kind of a group of little isolated verses that all sound good on their own. It all flows together. And so verse 7 helps us interpret verse 6. Uh, verse 7, he says, you're my hiding place. You're my uh, preservation from trouble. You're the one who delivers me. And that's a general kind of a promise. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. It's a general sort of statement. But in this psalm, in this context, he's talking very specifically about a hiding place from judgment. And so when those rushing waters of judgment come, you're my hiding place, God. You're the one who protects me from trouble. Which trouble? The trouble of God's judgment against sin. Uh, you deliver me. Deliver me from what? From the punishment that sin so rightly deserves. That's verses 6 and 7. And that's a wonderful sort of freedom. If you take the, if you take, if you, 
If you take the idea that there is a God in heaven who will judge sin seriously, this is an extraordinarily good piece of news. Right? A lot of people want to discount that today when that's, that discounting that is such a dangerous thing because it shortchanges the gospel. But a key part of the gospel is that we deserve the wrath of God and Jesus protects us from it. Jesus saves us from it. And, and, and that's the picture there in verses 6 and 7. And so if we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant... The way to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, instead of depart from me, I never knew you, is to do what Psalm 32 is talking about. It's to confess our sins and receive his forgiveness. That's, that's the way to be set free from the judgment that our sin deserves. And so that's a freedom. That's the second freedom he talks about. Finally, the third freedom that this psalm talks about and that the Lord gives us is freedom from, I'm going to call it alienation. Freedom from the alienation of sin. See, here's another problem with sin. We talked about one of the earlier problems. Another problem of sin is that when we sin and we don't confess it, when we, con when we sin and we kind of hide it, we do what David did with the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, he just kind of covers it up, pretends it never happened, goes about his business, uh, marries the woman, makes it, thinks he's made it all good. Uh, the problem with that approach is that it builds a wall unconfessed sin builds a wall between ourselves and God. And what does a wall do? A wall separates. That wall separates us from an intimate fellowship with the Lord. It, it, it alienates us from our relationship with him. How do you tear down this wall? Well, it's what David's talking about in the psalm. It's confession. Uh, we need to confess our sins if we want to be free from it. And I think that's what's going on in verses 8, 9, and 10. So I can just explain these verses and then show you why I say this is all about alienation. David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. Uh, and, and as you read this, he's talking to you and me now, okay? So I'll explain it in a minute. Uh, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So verse 8 is, is one of the connections I mentioned. Remember I said at the beginning there are some connections between Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 that make us link them together. And, and this is one of the big ones. Uh, in Psalm 51, last week's passage, verse 13, David, uh, David is uh, excited about his forgiveness and he says, I'm going to instruct other sinners in the way. Not because I'm better than they are, but because I know firsthand what they need. And so verse 13, he says, I'm going to instruct sinners in the way of forgiveness. That's what he's doing here in Psalm 32. He says so in verse 8. I'm, I'm instructing you now, all my fellow sinners, uh, I'm instructing you. And so that's verse 8. Verse 8 is basically narrative where he, his prayer breaks, and now he turns to the crowd, as it were, and he starts talking to the rest of us. And what does he say to the rest of us? Well, the content of what he says, it's, it starts in verse 9. He says, don't be a fool. That's verse 9. Uh, don't be a stubborn, ignorant sinner who refuses to confess his sin. In context, that's what he's talking about. Don't be, don't be an ignorant sinner who won't confess. That's where the horse and the mule come in, right? That's where he, uh, he, he talks about, he says, don't be like a horse and a mule, um, with apologies to those of you who are horse people. Uh, in this passage, he's using them as an illustration of ignorance, right? Because you see where he says that. Uh, he says uh, they don't have understanding. They, they won't go where they should go unless someone puts a bit in their mouth and leads them there, he, he says. 
Uh, and I'm sure your horse is better than that. But, uh, but, but, it's, but that's the idea. Maybe they're not. But do but you see what I mean? It's an animal that has to be led. It doesn't have the moral capacity to do the right thing. Don't be like that, David says. Don't be like an ignorant mule. Uh, instead, do what? Well, what's it the psalm about? Instead, confess your sin to the Lord, like David had done in verse 5, and now is urging us to do the same thing. Stop playing games with God, he says, and start taking your sin seriously. And I think that's the function of verse 10. What does verse 10 say? Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows. In context, who are the wicked in that verse? It's the people who won't confess their sin. In context, it's, it's what he was just talking about. It's those who are like the horse and the mule and think that they can just cover up what they do and never deal with it with, with God. And David says, listen, you need to know something. If, if you're going to be like a horse or a mule, if you're going to be that way, you need to know something. Here's a little warning for you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of those who refuse to confess their sin to the Lord. It will go back to verses 3 and 4. It'll eat you up on the inside. It'll squeeze you until you feel like you can't stand it anymore. It'll parch your soul until you wonder, why doesn't God talk to me anymore? How come I don't, I read the Bible and it's like reading the newspaper. Why is it so dry? This might be why. This might be the reason right here. And then what David does, and again, this is all about the blessings. There's warning mixed in, but it's the blessings is the emphasis. He shows us the alternative in the other half of verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And so verse 10 says, take your pick. You can cling to your sin like a stubborn old mule, or you can trust in the Lord, confess your sin to him, and be surrounded by his love. What's he saying? He's saying, and, and now I come back to this language I'm using with this third point. I, I think what he's saying is sin alienates us from God. Sin hurts the relationship, but confession repairs the relationship. It reconciles us. Uh, when we confess our sin to him, that, that wall is torn down. That was certainly David's experience. That wall is torn down, and we are, we are free. We're free to enjoy intimacy and fellowship. Now, there's a question that I think you should be asking right now. Like, uh, and the question is, well, hold on a second. I, I thought the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Right? What happened to that whole idea? I thought, you know, God loves us no matter what, right? Why, why are you saying that, that my sin hurts my relationship with God? I thought nothing can separate us from the love of God. The answer to that objection is you are absolutely right. God does love us no matter what. That is absolutely true. But it's also true that sin damages that relationship. Right? It damages that, that love relationship that we are enjoying with him. And this is, I knew I'd be good on time. This is a good place to, to talk about a concept. I think I've talked about this before, but I find it so helpful. There's a difference between what we could call union with Christ and communion with Christ. Right? So think of those two, union with Christ and communion with Christ. Union with Christ is fixed. We are united to Jesus Christ because of our relationship, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are united with Christ. And you see that language all over the place in the New Testament. We are in Christ. And nothing can take that away. Right? We, I, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. Nothing can take away our union with Christ. Romans, that's what Romans 8 is talking about. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not even our own sin. Nothing can take us out of his hand. My sheep know, know my voice, uh, and the Father gives them to me. No one can snatch them from my hand, Jesus says in John chapter 10. That's union with Christ, which is fixed. 
Communion with Christ, however, is, I'm going to use the word fluid. It's, it's, it's fluid. The intimacy and fellowship we experience with our Lord is contingent on, it's dependent on if we're walking with him, if we're actually walking with him. And one of the biggest barriers that keeps us from walking with the Lord is our sin. It's one of the biggest, you could talk about other ones, you know, maybe busyness is one that gets in the way sometimes, but, but I think biblically one of the biggest ones is, is our sin. More than anything else probably, sin breaks that fellowship. It, it keeps us from walking with Jesus the way we're supposed to do. This is what Jesus is talking about in the farewell discourse. Uh, in John chapter 15, you know that beautiful passage, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. He's not talking there about fixed union. That's, that's separate. That's by faith alone. What he's talking about there is this, is this relational communion. He's saying, remain in me, relate with me, and I'll relate with you. Enter into that relationship. That's what that abiding is all about. And so if we hide our sin, if we try to cover it up, if we try to pretend it never happened, and we won't treat with God, then we are hurting our relationship. We are hurting our relationship with the Lord. But then we have this way to, to stop doing that. What do we do? We confess and we come and we see forgiveness. I thought of the parable of the prodigal son. If you need something a little more um, picturesque in, in, to help us understand this, uh, the, 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 the younger son, the one who demands his inheritance and then goes off, he's still that father's son. In that parable Jesus told, there's never a point at which that, that prodigal stops being the father's son. He, he, and he goes off and he spends all the money and it's in dissipation and sin and all this. And he ends up wallowing in the pig pen. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. He ends up wallowing in the pig pen and he comes to his senses and he comes back to the father and he confesses his sin and the father meets him. The union was never broken. The son was always the son of the father. The father was always his, his son's father. That, that, that union, that, that connection was never broken. But the relationship was alienated. That son heard his father. He went off. He let, you, know, all that, you know the story. You could go read it. It's in Luke. Uh, and I think that is a, is a pretty good picture. And so when the son comes back, both he, the union is, is there like it's always been, and now communion is restored. And that's, I think, what the psalm is talking about that's that's what david's summarizing in verse 10 and so what he's saying there in verse 10 uh, he's mostly celebrating i think there's a fundamental assumption in verse 10 that we have done what david's done but there's also a little bit of a choice because he's saying which one do you want to be verse 10 says which one do you want to be do you want to be someone who clings to their sin and cuts themselves off or do you be want want to be someone who confesses their sin and enters into and enjoys all that god wants to give us the psalm ends, the last verse, Psalm uh, verse 32. You can go ahead and put the picture of the lady celebrating up if you'd like, Callie. Uh, the whole thing ends by really circling back. He comes back to, to uh, that idea of blessedness, except now he tells us to celebrate the blessing. That's verse 11. Uh, so uh, he, uh, so oh, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 as well. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Verse 11, so be glad. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Who's righteous? The ones who are made righteous by confession, righteous, righteous by faith. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Shout for joy, be glad, he says. 
Uh, you're free. Uh, a few months ago, you might have seen this because it was somewhat local news, uh, a church out in Omaha, Christ the King Church, um, made an announcement. They announced that they had raised a bunch of money. It was like $35,000, something like that. They'd raised a bunch of money to partner with a nonprofit group that specializes in forgiving debt. And so the group is called Rest in Peace Medical, Medical Debt, RIP Medical Debt. And uh, I don't know a ton about this, but from what I was reading, uh, when, when, a, when a medical bill goes unpaid for a long time, eventually that doctor or that hospital can choose to sell that debt at a discount to a collection agency. And then that collection agency takes the debt, they buy it at a cut rate discount, and then they can try to collect whatever they can, and if they can collect more than they paid, they, they make a profit. And I guess that's just how the system is set up. The hospital benefits, because they don't have to worry about it anymore. I mean, it's kind of a win-win as far as that goes. And, uh, and so what this charity does, RIP Medical Debt, what they do is they raise money to buy medical debt, but instead of trying to collect it, they just forgive it. That's, that's what this charity does. And Christ the King Church got a vision for partnering with this charity, so they did kind of an outreach project, and they raised, like I said, 30-plus thousand dollars. And the way the discounts worked, uh, with the money they raised, they were able to forgive over $7 million worth of medical debt. And they did it specifically for Nebraskans, right? It's a Nebraska, Omaha area church, and so that's who they focused on. And so they worked with this charity to buy up medical debt for people who owed collectively $7 million, and then they forgave it. They just cleaned it off the books with the money that had been donated. I want to ask this question. Uh, can you imagine how those people felt? I said, can you imagine? I, you know, if you've ever been in this position, but some of us have, some of us haven't, but can you imagine? You've been getting these medical bills, and it's been coming every week, and you owe $10,000, $20,000, whatever it is, and one day you get a letter that says, it's gone. It's forgiven. We, we, we took care of your debt for you, and you don't owe it anymore. Can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine the joy uh, in those people's hearts? That's the end of Psalm 32. That's how it ends. Shout, be glad for joy, he says. If you've confessed your sin, if you've brought that to the Lord, whatever it was, if you've brought it to him, you've laid it at his feet, you've confessed that sin, you've received his forgiveness, your debt is gone. The Lord has washed it away. And now you are free. You are free to rejoice. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for this good, good news. And I would just pray this morning for myself and for anybody here in this room who has been clinging to guilt, who uh, has been hiding sin. If there's anybody here who's been hiding something and they're in the spot where David was in month 11 before Nathan the prophet was came to him and the, the, it feels like an elephant sitting on their chest, the, confession, the conviction is so heavy. Would you please be gracious to those folks the same way you were gracious to David? It was painful but it was grace because his sin came to light and, and he was able to be forgiven. Lord, we pray that for ourselves. And Lord, for, for those who have done that already, help us to reject any burden of, of, of guilt that's not right. Uh, not, it, there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Conviction is right. Guilt is, is, uh, is destructive and from the enemy. And so help us to, re to reject that, that, uh, those guilty feelings when you've already forgiven it and uh, to walk in that newness, that freeness, that freedom that we've talked about this morning. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.